time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. All right. Welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. You know, it's October and October is Mystery Month here at Vintage Truth. And uh, before we hop into our topic for today, I want to just say a huge thank you to the uh, hundreds and hundreds, in fact, well over a thousand folks that came out to the Prophecy Forum that I spoke at this past weekend in Oklahoma. And I just met hundreds of you who came up to the table and just said, hey, Jeff, I saw you on TV. I've been following you. I've read your books. Thank you so much for your message of spreading God's vintage truth everywhere. And, you know, it's just great to make a personal connection with people that uh, that are following me and more importantly, following God's word. And so just to let you know, you were an encouragement to me, and I hope I was to you. I had a chance to give three different messages at the conference, uh, one on uh, The Coming Apostasy, the book I wrote with Dr. Mark Hitchcock, also The End of America, and also uh, finally Wake the Bride, about 250 or 300 people at a luncheon that I spoke on Wake the Bride. So anyway, it was a great time and uh, just had a, a, a blast getting to know some new friends here. Now, the topic for today on Mystery Month is what is the mystery of the Christian faith? I mean, what is the Christian faith? Because there's a lot of confusion out there on what Christianity really is. I mean, how do you define it? What does it really look like? I mean, what we're seeing today around us, is that classic Christianity or is that some sort of counterfeit form of it? How far from the faith have we drifted over these past 2,000 years? And if one of the 12 disciples were to miraculously wander into one of our churches today, what would he think? What would strike him as being authentic? Would he find faith there? Would he find true faith there? Would he just find some sort of theater presentation? And with so many different churches today, we really have to ask ourselves, who, who's right? I mean, who really has the truth? Which church is the right one? Is it the old established church that preaches the Bible verse by verse for 55 minutes on Sundays? Is that the way to go? Or is it the liturgical congregation driven by some sort of uh, repeating practice and phrases and prayers every week followed by a 10-minute homily? Or is it that new, hip, postmodern plant, uh, that church plant with its coffee and its candles and creative media crew and lights and flashing and, you know, hipster uh, leaders, uh, song leaders with their uh, little shaved head, side head haircuts? I mean, who, who's got it here, right? Everybody's so different. So who's right? Who's really speaking for God today? And how do we end up in this situation? Well, if you rewind back into history a little bit, you'll find out that, you know, Christianity under the first century Roman rule was a faith that was persecuted, that was oppressed, that was marginalized, and yet that thrived in the midst of all of that. The Roman Empire oppressed Christianity and Christians, and we suffered during that time, and yet the Christian faith kept spreading. And so eventually, uh, as the, the, the years went on, leaders of the church would gather periodically to discuss important doctrinal matters because some of the false teachers had crept into the church and made some, some very uh, serious claims about Christ or the Bible or angels or faith or works. And so they had to really kind of boil it down to some basic doctrine uh, so that they could keep the church on track. And, and for a thousand years, it kind of went on that way. 
and there was only really one church. And and through a series of events uh, leading up to the year 1054, the church divided into two segments, into two rivers, if you will. Uh, one was the Ether, Eastern Church, which was the Orthodox Church, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, and the other was the Western or Roman Catholic Church, and they disagreed, and so they split into two different kinds of major church movements. Uh, the Catholic Church uh, felt like the uh, the Pope had should have authority over all the churches, and they had a certain understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. And the the Orthodox Church said no. The Eastern Church said no. We don't we don't agree with that. We don't think the Pope should have authority over us. And so the church kind of split that way. And so that went on, and the Catholic Church uh, really became more the dominant church in the West. And and over time, the Catholic Church became very, very corrupt and very uh, off-target, uh, doctrinally impure with its works-based salvation, with indulgences and, and with the, uh, the power that the church had in the community. And so fed up with all this greed and corruption, there was a German Catholic monk in the 16th century named Martin Luther. And he said, hey, I want to try to reform the church. I don't want to leave the church. I want to reform it. So he nailed these 95 theses to a church door. And that caused this protest that he, that he issued caused a huge break off of the church into Protestantism. Now, I'm greatly simplifying all this, right? But Martin Luther's actions caused further distinctions between the Catholic church and now people who were wanting to really believe in Christ by faith, only scripture, only faith, sola scriptura, sola fide, uh, only grace by faith uh, in Christ. And so, and then from the Lutheran, uh, from the Lutheran movement became the Lutherans and the Calvinists and the French Huguenots and the Church of England, among many, many others. And this led to more flavors of Christianity throughout the ages, the Puritans, the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians, Baptists, Quakers, Methodists, Episcopalians. So, we end up with, you know, in the 1900s, we get to the 1900s here, and we go through a couple of world wars, and and then uh, Billy Graham comes on the scene and sort of re- reinvents the tent revival, and uh, thousands and thousands of people come flooding to the altar. Of course, after Billy Graham, uh, Baptist preachers never spoke the same way again. And so the 1960s came along, there was another revolution. This time it was more of a cultural revolution uh, that blamed everything basically on rock and roll and Elvis and his gyrating pelvis. And people during that time began to disconnect from the church, from the institutionalized church. They were checking out and finding Jesus in other places like campus ministries and parachurch organizations and that type of thing. In fact, mainline denominations during the 60s and early 70s began to see drastic declines in attendance. And in the 1980s, this caused another movement to happen. Because of the liberalism and because of the deadness in many mainline denominations during that time, in the 1980s, non-denominational Bible churches started springing up. And seminaries like Dallas Theological Seminary began producing thousands upon thousands of pastors who would go out and start these Bible churches to get back to preaching the Word of God. I was a part of that. And my, my seminary education at Dallas Seminary trained me to do just that, to be able to take people back to the Scriptures. Now, thankfully, many of those denominations woke up and smelt the coffee and have really gotten back on board again and gotten back to a scriptural foundation for the way that they teach and preach and run their churches, and that's very good. But even today, many people are disillusioned with the fact that 
that the church has become this this grand thing. Many many think it's like the Catholic Church again. They're too powerful. They're too big type of thing. And so we have this culture now where people tend to flock to these mega churches and they become sort of like Walmart. You know, Walmart in a small community is like the store, man. I mean, you go there and you can get everything from WD-40 to chicken fingers, you know, everything from tires for your car to, you know, charcoal for the grill to, you know, frozen food section, whatever. And it's just everything. And so these little mom and pop organizations, these mom and pop grocery stores are, are struggling to keep up because of all that Walmart can offer its customers. And a lot of people today think, hey, you know, that's the way the church has become. And it's just this big old machine. You just go to it and kind of consume, get what you want, put your, you know, your shopping cart through through the checkout stand and go, go on about your way. And so these churches, many of them have become more of an entertainment-minded, multi-million-dollar facility, a consumer-driven superstore. And some of those churches, even that are small, try to act like that. So there's a lot of division. There's a lot of diversity in the Christian faith. In fact, today, they say that there's some 2,600 different branches of the Christian church today. So the real question is, how do we, how do we go from one church to like 2,600 divisions and flavors you know, like baskin and ramen says 31 flavors we've got about 2600 flavors in the church today and most churches today have their own personality and to a certain degree i think that's very healthy i think it's okay uh, different people enjoy different worship styles uh, different strategies for worship different ways of teaching and, and that's okay as long as you're committed to the scripture in fact when you take that that concept internationally that's why a church in uganda should look like a should look different from a church in America. That's why a church in the Deep South should look different from a church up in perhaps Portland, Oregon, or somewhere like that. I mean, all over the world, we have our differences. We have our diversities. And I've had the opportunity to worship and to be a part of leading church worship services in, in Mexico and in China and in Canada and, and in England. And so, you know, I think those things should be different. It's okay. But the main thing is that we are still committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to his word and to what Christ did on the cross. And so it's okay to be different. We don't have to be uh, uniformity. You don't have to create uniformity, just that we have unity. So still, though, our unbelieving friends will ask, if Christianity is one faith, then why is there so much division and bickering within the Christian community? That doesn't make us look good. And in fact, sometimes you'll see churches that that want you to know exactly what they believe so that they can create that division between you and them immediately even from like the church side you know the churches that have like we are the first free will premillennial baptistic full immersion full gospel church of god's holy word in christ jesus our lord type thing and you're like yeah okay so your whole doctrinal statement is on your church sign and so some churches just really want to create that kind of division so when you get back to it, to the first century, here's the deal. You know, in the first century, Christians weren't carrying around Bibles, right? So they weren't able to kind of go down the checklist and say, okay, you know, what do you believe about uh, the authorship of Second Timothy? Or what do you believe about the timing of the rapture? And it's not to say that doctrine isn't important. It's just that in the beginning, when you're trying to survive, you really want to talk about the things that really matter. And so somewhere along the line, some Christian came up with this ingenious idea 
And they noticed that the Greek word ichthus, which is the word fish, okay? It's the Greek word for fish, ichthus. It's I-C-H-T-H-U-S, ichthus. Could serve as an acrostic for our faith. And, you know, the, the I stands for something and the C-H and the T, T-H and the U and the S. And it means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's how the ichthus kind of developed. And so... The story goes that upon greeting someone publicly, that the person would sort of draw half a semicircle or half a fish, and if the other person was a Christian, they would complete it and kind of like cross over there at the tail, so you create this kind of fish logo, this fish symbol. And so the fish symbol sort of fit, you know, because, you know, Christ told his disciples he'd make them into fishers of men in Matthew 419, and, you know, Jesus fed the 5,000 with a few fishes and loaves of bread, and in fact, Tertullian, who was a second century theologian, put it this way. He said, quote, we little fishes after the image of our ichthus, Jesus Christ, are born in the water, end quote. Speaking, I guess, of baptism. So you have Jesus Christ, the prophetic or the prophesied anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah. You've got God's son, the eternal one, fully divine, God become flesh to identify with us, Savior, restoring sinful and undeserving humanity from sin's slavery and penalty. So ichthus, you know, look that up and just see how each of those letters correspond to that. That sort of gathers up the truth of our faith in one tiny little logo. The fish, if you think about it, the fish was sort of like the Nike swoosh of the first century. I mean, without even uttering a sound, Christians could talk about what their faith was all about. So, you know, it got to the point where, you know, when you and 30 other of your compadres were rounded up and led to a painful death in the Colosseum, about to get eaten by lions or torn apart by wild beasts or killed by barbarians, it really wouldn't matter what race you were or what other church you went to during that day. It wouldn't, really wouldn't matter whether you were a slave or a free or whether you disagreed about local politics or even if you had a different opinion about, you know, is Caesar really the Antichrist or the beast of Revelation 13? I mean, none of that stuff really mattered. It only mattered that you knew Jesus. That's what really is important. In fact, in the early church, non-Christians called the church, they call Christians the way, the way. We see that in Acts chapter 9 and verse 2 and Acts 19, 19, excuse me, Acts 19, 9, 22, 4, 24, uh, 14 and 22, all those passages in Acts talk about Christianity being called the way. And it comes from John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so Christians began to be known as the way. You see, here's the deal. At the core of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Now, let me just quickly say, doctrine is very important. And if the only thing we needed to know about being a Christian and growing in Christ was just that Jesus was the way, that's all we needed, then the Bible could be reduced down to just one verse. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, it doesn't negate the fact that that's true, but there are many, many other truths about our faith, about life and doctrine and practices and sound teaching and things that are true about the Bible that we do need to know. But if you were to boil down the entire world of Christian faith, of the Christian faith, down to one thing, it would be that Christianity is Jesus. It's the person 
of Jesus Christ. It's not even just the belief about Jesus or a certain belief about Jesus or about what Jesus did. It's Jesus himself. Now, you can't look at Jesus himself without also seeing what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, what Jesus overcame, and what Jesus inspired others to write in the rest of the New Testament through the Holy Spirit. So you can't negate any of that stuff. But if you just want to boil it down to one thing, you know, what is, what is the 30-second elevator pitch for Christianity? It's Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That really just puts it in a nutshell. That's the, that's the raw, untamed, pure faith. And it's a faith that I fear that we've lost. You know, even some theological persuasions today that I agree with, okay, they kind of make that what they kind of wear on their lapel. You know what I'm saying? That's their front door. That's their sign of Christianity. We are this. And that may be true about you, but you know, that's not the most important thing about you. I mean, the name of your church, whether, you know, I've been in the churches where that are denominational and they're more concerned that I'm not a member of their denomination than they are the fact that I'm a part of the body of Christ and a God-called man who's called to teach or preach at their church. Like, is he, and plug in the, the name, is he Baptist, is he Methodist, is he Episcopal, is he Assembly God, you know? I've been in those churches. Now, I've been in other churches that are very denominational, but don't care because they know that I'm going to come and preach the unadulterated, pure, untamed, raw, powerful word of God. And those are the people that I most identify with. You know why? Because they believe in that fish thing. You know, they believe that Jesus Christ is so powerful that him alone, that, that the message of Jesus alone is enough. And that's the mystery that so many people are missing today. They're so confused by the fact that there's churches on every corner of their city and none of them talk to each other. Now, granted, some of those churches are apostate. Some of those churches are dead. Some of those churches need to be turned into restaurants, okay? Or a theme park or something. Or turn it back into a, a hotel or an airport, whatever it looks like, right? Or a mall. But there are churches that truly believe the truth and the word of God. And that's where we need to come out of the fog and to declare the clear message of Christianity. And the message of Christianity is Jesus Christ. And if you miss that, you've missed everything. And if we fail to portray that as our front door, as our logo, as our brand in this world, then we as Christians have dropped the ball. We can't afford to do that, right? Christianity is Jesus. He is that mystery. Hey, next time we're going to talk about the mystery of the Bible. How come it's so hard to understand? And how do we make sense of it? We're going to tackle that this coming Friday on the Vintage Truth Podcast. See you then.